Hey Church of the Beloved, my name is Kevin Zo and I'm the production manager here at COTV. Just wanted to say a quick thanks for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. This week's message is brought to us by our interim senior pastor, Abe Lee. He is preaching from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-10. through 10. So, uh, Happy New Year, everyone. Good morning. I know there are many who are still uh, on their way back to Chicago. So, uh, to our online community, welcome. I'm glad you're joining us today. I'll tell you that it is an honor and a privilege for us to be able to start off the new year with our, our church family. Suzette and I, we were very intentional in deciding to be here originally uh, for that reason, because we want to be with our church family. Uh, and I also really wanted to preach today, because I wanted to be able to usher in the new year with our beloved family. And I will say this, just as an update, I am doing much better uh, since my spine surgery. Thank you so much for all of those who are praying for us and feeding us. There's so much food. Uh, we got these two humongous, you know, those Chicago-style popcorn tins with the caramel and everything. And, and we stacked them up. It comes up to my waist. It's about three feet tall. We're trying really hard to get through them. I think we almost finished one tin. Uh, it's getting, starting to get stale, so we got to finish it fast. If you want some, come over. Uh, before we get into today's passage, I do want to share some updates about what's going on here at Church of the Beloved. Our pastoral search committee, they have been tirelessly interviewing potential candidates for the senior pastor position here at Church of the Beloved. And so I want to ask if you would continue to please pray for them. If you, do, if you want to know who's serving on the pastoral search committee, you can go to cotb.life's forward slash PSC. Some of them are here. Uh, would you pray for their patience, their endurance, their wisdom? They're interviewing and they're discerning to determine who might be called to lead our little church. Now, because of their tireless efforts, we're trying to keep our February schedule in regards to sermons a little loose uh, so that we can invite the potential candidates uh, that are going to be presented for consideration and ultimately approval by the congregation. We want to give them that time in February to preach for us. If you happen to know any potential candidates they are still accepting or know people who know people, send them that same link, cotb.life forward slash PSC. And I, I want to say this, I've said it before, but speaking of the pastoral search, I, I think it's important to reiterate something. You're our family. Suzette and I, we can truly and honestly say that we love you all and that this is our church. Our desire, our hope, and our intent is to continue to be a part of this church in whatever capacity God just dictates for us uh, when that new pastor is identified. Now, typically the norm is for an interim pastor to not stick around after their time of service, but I'm not very normal. Uh, Suzette is absolutely normal, but she married me, so she has no choice. Ultimately, getting a new pastor does not mean that you're going to get rid of me. Uh, getting a new pastor just means there's a new pastor and that we're going to be playing a different role here at the church. So that's February and we do have a short sermon series planned, but it's, like I said, it's very loose because we want to keep it open for potential candidates to preach uh, from this pulpit. January is going to be a bit different as well for us at Church of the Beloved. Uh, it's, I feel like it's been like 300 years since COVID started. Uh, and since I've taken on more and more preaching and pastoring responsibilities here at Church of the Beloved, and I'll be very honest. I've, I've loved every moment, preaching every week, uh, taking the time to dive deeper into the gospel, to consider and to try to 
humbly submit to God's prompting when it comes to what should be presented to you every week. But it's, it's been a lot. Um, for those of you who are joining us maybe online for the first time or here, I am what's called a co- or bivocational pastor, which means I have a full-time job, which happens to be in the tech sector, along with this particular full-time job. Like I said, and don't get me wrong, I've, I love and have loved every moment of my time as a pastor and as preacher, uh, taking the time to not only learn, but to teach and to care for the congregation here at Church of the Beloved. It's been awesome. But the staff and my wife, they have wisely pushed me to slow down just a bit. Um, so January, I'm going to be doing that. We're going to have a lot of guest speakers for the majority of the month of January, and we're going to try to build that rhythm in a little bit. On the schedule right now, we have some new and some old friends for, from Church of the Beloved. Next week, we're going to have Reverend Dr. Reverend, Reverend Dr. Eric Redman. He's uh, from Moody Bible Institute. Uh, we also have Pastor Brian Dye, an old friend of ours. He works with church planters through Chicago Partnership. He's going to be preaching for us next week. And at the end of the month, we have a new friend, Pastor Susan Radecki from Emmanuel Anglican. She'll be preaching to us uh, at the end of the month. And I'm really looking forward to, hopefully you are as well, to hearing from such a diverse group of preachers from the pulpit over the next few weeks. But we're not only going to be taking time to hear from a diversity of preachers, we're also going to be hearing, hopefully, from a diversity of teachers as well. Uh, we're still working out the details, so I don't have everything ready yet to present, but a few of our beloved members, specifically Carolyn, Kevin, who is our production direct, uh, manager, as well as one of our own Mike's, Mike Morgan. He, they're, going, they're working together to set up uh, weekly seminars or a Sunday school type thing. Uh, the when and the where, the details are still coming. We're working those out, but stay tuned. Keep your eyes and ears open for that, an opportunity for us to continue to learn. This is the last one I want to talk about before we get deeper into this message. Uh, we've been announcing this for the last few months now. And I'll say it again, we will not, we will not be meeting here at Cervantes on January 23rd or 30th. All the other Sundays we are here, but those two Sundays we will not be here. We will be gathering at Covenant Presbyterian Church, that's in Bucktown, 2012 West Dickens, and we're going to be meeting at 4.30 so we can sleep in a little bit. There is free parking around there. They have a lot. Uh, we encourage carpooling if you can because public transport, not the greatest around there. Uh, I do believe there are some groups like the women's ministry. They're going to be meeting beforehand uh, for like lunch or something uh, in Logan Square. Or you can grab a group, go to Wicker Park. There's a lot of places to eat there. And then join us for service at 4.30. Uh, Pastor Susan is going to be preaching at the end of the month on the 30th at Covenant Presbyterian. But the 23rd, the fourth Sunday of the month, it's going to be a different and special day for us. Because we're going to dedicate that Sunday, that 23rd, to a time of prayer and worship. Because we want to ask God to show us where we should meet in the future. See, Church of the Beloved, we absolutely have a heart to be a neighborhood church, but not necessarily the demographics or the size. As a family, we happen to be all over Chicago, uh, from the far west suburbs to Hyde Park. We're all over the place. And so what we want to do is we want to take the time on the 23rd to just pray to and to praise our Father in heaven, asking that he provides us wisdom and thank him because we know he will. Ultimately, wisdom to know where we should establish ourselves and maybe whether we should go one step further and start planting roots. It's like possibly renting or leasing an actual place 
buying a place, not just temporarily squatting every Sunday for a few hours, which is what we're doing now. Now, we're not, we are not going to be broadcasting a live stream on that particular Sunday, the 23rd. So I'm asking everyone who calls Church of the Beloved their church home to join us at 4.30 on the 23rd at Covenant Presbyterian in Bucktown. Because we want to spend time as a family praying for God's direction, praying for God's mercy on us as a church. So I, I know that was a lot to share uh, and it's not about the announcements. We want to dive into scripture. But I, I got to tell you, I, I'm really excited about what this new year holds for our little church of God's beloved. Which is why I picked the passage I did today. Because not only did I want to share all these updates and these plans, but I wanted to remind us as a church that there is hope that we cling to as a body of believers, as sisters and brothers made a family by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, we do and we plan for all of these things, not because of the things themselves. We, we do and we plan uh, not out of a duty or responsibility, not even out of a need. We do and we plan all these things for these future things because it is a natural outpouring of our hope in something so much greater. See, Peter wrote this second letter, if you look at verse 1, to those who have received a faith equal to ours, through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's from chapter 1, verse 1. And more than likely, when he references that, he's referencing the folks that he uh, talked to in his first letter. In his first letter in 1.1, it says, To those chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. That's from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. And it was written to them, but it's also ultimately written for us as well. And so I chose to focus on this particular letter, Second Peter, this week. One, because oftentimes seconds are ignored or forgotten. First Peter, First John, those get all the attention. The second ones, you know, Second Peter, Second, Third John, they kind of get forgotten. It's like the younger siblings. So I want to take a second just to give a shout out to the seconds. Um, and the the other main reason I really wanted to focus on this particular passage is because Peter is reminding his re readers of their hope. Jesus, reminding the beloved why they continue on in their struggle and why we should do the same. So I want to look at this. First Peter chapter 3, verse 1, it says, uh, Peter's telling his readers that this letter and the, his first one that he sent one to them was a reminder of hope. So even though non-Christians can learn from it, it was intended for sisters and brothers who hold to the same faith that Jesus Christ is the one and only Son of God, and no one can enter into heaven except by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. It is for Christians. It, it is a reminder of the truth that have already been taught and that will be taught once again. A verbal alarm clock to the beloved that the words spoken by the holy prophets, that the commands and the instructions given by God through the apostles, that the hope of Scripture itself that these things need to be remembered, need to be applied, need to be reapplied constantly. I'll tell you, one of the truths that faith in Christ provides is that God promises us a peace that surpasses all understanding. We talked about it through the Advent. 2020 and 2021, that tested that truth for me constantly. I don't know if it did for you. Watching the news became the most anxiety-causing activity for me oftentimes. 
I, I would watch YouTube videos of TikTok compilations just so that I could chill out and relax a little bit. The stress of work, the stress of isolation, the stress of uncertainty, all of that coupled with the call by leaders to just hold on, wait, vaccine's going to help, economy's going to be okay, the supply chain will self-correct, the environment, it really, is, it's not going to, maybe it will implode, I don't know, not having snow for the entire month of December was just weird for me. But this letter, this letter that was not written to us, but absolutely intended for us, Peter is writing to an anxious group of people, an anxious group of people that are starting to lose hope. Jesus had now been gone for a few decades, right? And everyone, when he first left, everyone thought he was just going to grab something from heaven and be right back. That's the mindset that was in most people. And it made me think of a story, uh, oftentimes you hear of a dad stepping out to grab a pack of cigarettes and not being back after 25 years, you know? I'm not saying that Jesus was a, like a deadbeat dad at all, I, I, but I do believe that a lot of the believers at that time felt that. And Peter wanted to remind his readers that the promise of hope, that the promise of peace is real. And so hold on. He wrote, dear friends, this is now the second letter I have written to you. And in both letters, I want to stir up your sincere understanding by way of reminder so that you recall the words previously spoken by the holy prophets and the command of our Lord and Savior given through your apostles. Just a reminder, this letter. So let's consider, why were they losing hope? Why were they having a hard time? And ultimately, it says it's because scoffers are going to scoff and haters are going to hate. I'll tell you, I have to, as I was preparing for this, I have to acknowledge this. Christianity, at its core, at its ensis, is a belief in the fanciful and, and, and the... It's just weird because you look at it and there's just so much fantastical kind of things that happen in there. I was thinking about it. It's, it's no wonder that so many Christians enjoy Harry Potter because it's so crazy. Christianity at its core is unbelievable. It is, it is a belief in a deity coming down and, and maintaining his godness while also at the same time becoming fully human. Christianity is a belief that this God-man was tortured, was murdered, and then was resurrect, resurrected from the dead, not like a zombie, though, but as God and human still at the same time. And it's a belief that if I accept this, if I believe this miraculous story, the same thing's going to happen to me as well. All predicated on this faith, on this hope that this God-man who's now gone, has gone to heaven, this God-man's coming back one day, but it's been over 2,000 years, and he's not back yet. The idea of Christianity, the, the, the faith that we proclaim is true, it's a little nuts. And the truth is, is that it's always been a little nuts. Even in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus is literally standing there among the disciples, having been raised from the dead. He's teaching. He's getting ready to go back to heaven. He's proven himself. And he's giving his final famous command, which is to, to go and make disciples of all nations. And, and Matthew writes, among the disciples, some doubted. Jesus is literally standing amidst the people. And some of the people are like, eh, I'm not sure. Paul writes to the letter, in his letter to the Corinthians, he acknowledges, you know, without the resurrection of Jesus, the whole purpose of our faith is useless, but it's so hard to believe. I'll tell you, it's impossible to believe without the help and the intervention of the Spirit of God opening our eyes. So ultimately, haters are going to hate, 
Scoffers are going to scoff. They're going to ask questions like, you know, shouldn't Jesus be back by now? I mean, literally, how long is he going to make you wait? They ask questions like, if God is so good, honestly, shouldn't COVID be done by now? Why? Why? Why do so many more people have to die? If Jesus is such a man of peace, shouldn't the, the patriarchy, shouldn't the, uh, the, the racist hegemony that is American politics, shouldn't we have it removed? Shouldn't we have it replaced by something else? If God is real, why are so many pastors being toppled over because of sexual and spiritual immorality and narcissism? Where is your God? These are arguments that were being made then. These are arguments that are being made today. How do we maintain a faith, a, a hope, when all the evidence around us seems to be crying out against it? How do, how do I continue doing the things that we are called to do, to, 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 to find a new pastor, to start a new Sunday school, to keep gathering together when, if you're driving here, when it costs me like 10 bucks to park or because I can't get that one free spot next to the post office or I have to make multiple transfers to get here on CTA? How do I keep it all up when it all feels more than a, little useless. And the worst part of it all is that the voices of dissension and doubt that are here, the haters and the scoffers that are mentioned, they weren't coming from outside of the church. They were coming from inside. In 2 uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 1, Peter wrote that just as there will be false teachers among you, See, the chipping away at their hope, the chipping away at their joy was coming from those that they called their sisters and their brothers. The fragmenting of faith was being brought about by their friends. It was their friends where in verse 3 it says, above all, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their own evil desires, saying, where is this coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they've been. Since the beginning of creation, nothing's changed. Nothing has changed. There's a question that came to my mind as I was preparing. If scoffers are from within the family, what am I? Am I putting my desires, am I putting my priorities over God's? Now, I'm not trying to guilt or condemn anyone, but it's a question that I ask myself, and I'm asking you. Because if you consider this question, do I put myself first or do I put God first? It's a tough question to be honest about. I have to take stock in my own decisions that I've made in my life. And I'll be honest, I didn't come out looking that good. Because you see, scoffing, especially if it's coming from within, scoffing is not limited to the words that I say. No, scoffing uh, is, includes the actions that I take or the actions that I choose not to take. See, do I scoff at my faith with the choices I make and the things that I do? Do I scoff at God by not spending time with him? Do I scoff at the Father in heaven by not considering my sisters and my brothers more significant than myself? Do I scoff at the King of kings by living a life that's more in tune with my desire than God's heart? Do I scoff by choosing to believe ultimately that Jesus isn't coming back and functionally living as an atheist? There's a term called functional atheism, which is the decision to ignore the hope of Christ's return and to live, live a life that nurtures sin instead of sanctification. Live a life that focuses on my desires, on my wants, on my drives, instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to transform me into the person that God has designed me to be. 
So functional atheism is to basically say, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian with my mouth, but to not live it out with my life. I mentioned this uh, when we were doing our value sermon series a few be- uh, weeks back to Jonah. Uh, I grew up with what's called a red-letter edition of the Bible, and that version of the Bible, it put all of Jesus' Jesus's words in red. Functional atheism basically sees the words, the red letters, but forgets the actions, the black letters. See, a true faithful servant of the Father in heaven not only sees, but, but follows both the red letter and the black letter, Jesus, the words and the actions. And, and when we do that, we are promised a hope, a peace that surpasses all understanding. And I'll tell you, it's not an unfounded, it's not an unsupported peace or hope. This hope is based on evidence as provided by Paul. Evidence that Paul, oh, it's not Paul, Peter. Evidence that Peter provides to the scoffers, and he doesn't do it in a condemning way. He simply says, says that they've missed the point. In verses 5 through 7, it says, They deliberately overlooked this. By the word of God, the heavens came into being long ago, and the earth was brought about from water and through water. Through these words, the, through these, the world of that time perished when it was flooded. By, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. See, God created and God recreated the world with water and a word. It is the same power that holds back the last days the, when judgment's coming for everybody. See, the earth was created from water, and the world was recreated through the water, through the flood during Noah's time. And, and all of earth is subject to God. Nothing can, nothing will escape that reality. And one day, as, as has always been promised, the judgment of everything is going to happen. And to gain a right understanding of God's process, one needs to remember God's power. See, the scoffers, the haters have forgotten, had forgotten, and have continued to forget that God is not limited. God is limitless. Like the children's song, our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing our God cannot do. And not only is the proof of hope in God's power, the proof of hope is also in God's time. It's in the understanding, to the best of our ability, the understanding of God's perspective of time. In verse 8, it's a pretty well-known verse. It says, dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. It's been a few millennia since Jesus left. But to God based on this passage. It's just been a couple days. At the same time, I love this other aspect of it. If, if a day is like a thousand years, and let's say that you became a Christian, you've proclaimed that you are by grace alone, been saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, and it's just been a couple of days. That means God has seen you as righteous for thousands of years. That's amazing to me. And, and thank God. Thank God for the delay. Verse 9 tells us that this delay in his return, it is absolutely intentional. It's so that everyone that is elected by God, every one of his beloved might not perish, but come to repentance. 
I'm about out of time. We want to do communion today. So I'm going to start wrapping up. I want to ask if you could take a moment this week, if you can, dive deeper into this passage, maybe in your community groups, small groups, maybe in your own private devotion times. I've only scratched the surface of this letter in, uh, by looking at these 10 verses. But I want to say, Christianity, if you just step back and you truly look at what it proclaims, it is honestly a little crazy. We believe that Jesus is both God and man at the same time. We believe that God is simultaneously and separately a father, a son, and a ghost. We remember the horrible torture and crucifixion of the main point of our religion by pretending to drink his blood and eat his body. Metaphorically. Christianity is a little crazy, and doing all these different things that we do, like getting together every Sunday, singing songs behind Mass, listening to someone read from a book that's thousands of years old, committing to, to putting money in the coffers so that we can do this every week, giving up time, waking up early to get here, to study. Doing all these different things can seem at times pointless, can seem useless, and I, I, I get that. I do. Jesus left this world after he redeemed his beloved, but he didn't leave us alone when he did. He left us with a helper, the Spirit of God, to be an active source of encouragement to us, an active source of power during times of hopelessness and doubt. He left this world after he redeemed his beloved so that his beloved might have a chance to be redeemed. And right now, Jesus is home, getting our place ready in heaven. And as he's doing that, he's asked us to get ready to come home. And Peter writes what it looks like to get ready. He says, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten his coming. See, we are called to continue to live our lives for God's sake, not for our own or, or not even on our own. We do it with God's power and we do it with God's perspective of time. So here's the final question I'd like to pose to you, uh, and I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and make their way back on stage as I do this. The question is this. Does your life today, not only the, the words that you say, but the actions that you take, does your life today make sense for today, or does it make sense for every day? Because it's clear what sort of people we are called to be, people of holy conduct, beloved people of a godly nature. Living like Jesus. Living like Jesus is going to come back at any moment. Living as the most radically loving, living as the most radically forgiving, the most radically gracious, because ultimately we know how it's going to end for those who don't have this hope and this faith. Verse 10 says, because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. It's not going to be a good day for those who don't know the Savior. I know that Jesus is coming back. He honestly may not return in my lifetime or your lifetime, and that's okay. But see, there's a chorus to an old Christian rock song from the 80s, and forgive me for referencing something you guys have probably never heard, but it simply goes as this. If you believe he's coming back tomorrow, live like he's coming back today. And that's what I want to ask us to consider doing. Now, today we get to celebrate communion together. It's a sacred ritual of devotion and remembrance with community. 
So communion reminds us that, you know, by trusting Christ, by trusting Jesus, we can draw nearer to the Father in heaven. It reminds us that we are the beloved of God because of Christ alone, and it is an act for all of those who call Jesus Christ their Savior to remember the sacrifice that he made, to celebrate his resurrection, and to hold on to and to anticipate his glorious return. So if you've made that decision to, to accept him years ago or seconds ago, it doesn't matter. I'm asking you to join us now. If you're watching online, please go grab your elements, uh, the cup and the bread. And for those of you here, if you don't have those elements, uh, the ushers are up front. They can just flag them down. They'll be happy to share that with you. But I want to ask if you would now. We want to enter into a time with prayer, of prayer, with a profession of faith, acknowledging and fully appreciating the grace that Christ's blood purchased. It wasn't cheap. It cost him his life. So let's pray, and then we'll take communion together. Thank you for tuning in to this week's COTV Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us, you can visit our website at cotv.life. God bless and have a great week.